this text. Mr. President, if you're listening, <laughs> we're going to power our lunar rockets with love. <laughs> love rockets. Watch yes. it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yes. So I'm I'm disappointed about this, but I, I was afraid that this was going to happen. Uh, people are catching on that the candidates running for president on the Democratic side are not so and out of their minds and will never get elected in a million years. Spouting the crazy rhetoric they're spouting. No matter what Trump does over the next year and a half, you ain't going to get elected with free health care for illegals and crossing the border illegally doesn't count anymore and all that sort of stuff. Right. Ain't they went way too far. And, I, I, you know, how that happened, I don't know. But so yesterday you had uh, Democratic governors getting together for some sort of conference. Anxious Democratic governors urge candidates not to veer left was the, uh, was the headline out of there. And then you have the fact that the most shared and read story in the New York Times of the entire since last weekend. And I follow this. I always look to the, uh, the, the most popular section of the New York Times. Yeah. It never stays the same for more than a couple of days. Right. This has been the same for now over a week. It's Tom Friedman's column. He's a columnist. He's an opinion writer. Trump's going to get reelected, isn't he? Where he's talking about, oh my God, we're way we're way off track here, and uh, if we if we don't change, something bad's going to happen. Well, he's been interviewed on a number of shows about this. This is somewhat what he had to say. This call all started with people coming up to me saying. We're going to lose, aren't we? We're, we're, we're in the we're, process Trump's going to win again. This election. And that's what made me sit back and really articulate what I felt when I watched that Democratic debate. I heard a lot of things I agree with. I, I heard a lot of things I agree with. But I heard things that I was shocked by. The idea that we would decriminalize uh, um, uh, entry into this country. You can just walk in. Illegal. Yeah, illegal. I, I, I happen to believe you should ring the doorbell when you come to my house or my Racist. country. It's a little tick I have, okay? Wow. Um, the idea Hate that we're going to give uh, health care to uh, all these undocumented immigrants when we have health demands from Americans like veterans that are, are really in need. Um, I heard stuff that was just crazy. I'm sorry, to me, crazy, okay? I, I'm, I'm a big pro-immigration fan, but I think we need a high wall with a big gate, okay? I think you got to control the borders. Sure, other okay, let's Americans... let's stop there just, just for a second. I've got to catch my breath. I've never heard such a hate speech. Tom, is Tom Friedman with the Klan? Is is he Tom Klan Friedman, Klan? I've been reading him forever. Lifelong Democrat, progressive, hated Bush, hates Trump, saying, we got to have a freaking wall. Right. And people coming in the border, they, they can't come in illegally. That's against the law. And then you're going to give them full, free health care when a these... lot of Americans are desperate for that? <laughs> I, I yeah, that's where, that's where almost all Americans are, the positions he just said. Almost everybody's there. None of the ten candidates on stage were willing to go there, though. It, it blows my mind. And again, I'm sorry that people are catching on. It It works against what I want, but... Right. Better that they should have their next stuck way out on insanity come election day. If this were next July, that'd be fantastic, right. but it's a year and a half away, so there's plenty of time to right. come exactly. to your senses. I just, who, who's going to sit down, all ten candidates, who's going to sit them down and say, look, you're talking crazy talk. And then when the other people started talking crazy talk, you were so cowardly, you raised your hand, too. What's up with that? <sighs> but to me, listening to Friedman talk, and I, I disagree with him plenty, and I agree with him plenty, but it seemed to me an explicit, a, a, a bright line being drawn between people who see policy through an entirely emotional lens. And again, like an adolescent emotional lens. 
and somebody who sees it more as an adult and says, well, we don't have unlimited money to give people health care who haven't paid for it. And there's an enormous line of people who are already here, including our veterans, who are desperate for that. So given our limited resources, I think we need to start there. No, there are people who have never come within 100 miles of that sort of analysis. And that's not even analysis. That's just we only have $5 and we have $15 worth of people asking for it. What are we going to do with our $5? That's like an eighth grader's analysis that most many voters on the left don't even come close to. And that we need to secure our borders, which I think is partly driven by the fact that he is an expert in the Middle East, and he knows about borders and bad people crossing into your country and doing bad things. And right. having borders is what a country is. But anyway, a high wall and a big gate, I, I think that's a wonderful metaphor. <sighs> wow. and, and we can debate about the size of the gate, but the high wall to me is indisputable. So if Tom Friedman, hero of the left, had stood on the debate stage and said that stuff, would he have been booed by the crowd that was there? Yes. Yes. I absolutely think so, which goes to show how wackadoo the primary, uh, not primary, well, primary voters, but the super activists who show up at the debates and cow the candidates into towing their wackadoo line. Those people are way out there. And uh, and by the way, since I watched the echo chamber coverage after the debate, none of the CNN, MSNB hosts, NBC hosts that I saw were saying, holy cow, what was that? Nope. They were all just going along with it. Only Joe Scarborough on Morning Joe the next day said, the only thing they got going for them is that nobody was watching because that was a disaster. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because he understands politics enough, I guess. But. I, I realize it's the most worn out of truisms that politicians are cowards and will just say what will be popular with the crowd at the moment. But, but that was that, shocking even by those standards. Well, exactly. The fact that none of them had the confidence, the self-awareness, the awareness of the American people, the polling data, to think, wow, that's way out there. And wait a minute, give me five seconds. While I have great compassion for the brave people who are trying to improve their lives by coming to this country, there are many Americans who are desperate for health care money, and I think we need to look to them first before we promise it to anyone around the globe. Nobody could come up with that on their toes and be the person who stood out. And I think you would have shot up in the polls. Right. I, I guarantee it. Maybe not among the wackadoo fringe, but the fact that there was no... Body with the spine to do that is just extraordinary to me. Uh, is there more to that answer? Should we move on to the next one? Uh, yeah, it's about halfway through that. Yeah, I'm loving okay. it. Let's hear it. Okay, I think you got to control the border. Sure, other Americans, you can control your border. And then I'm really pro-immigration for both the high-energy, lower-skilled, and the high-IQ risk-takers. We, we need both. But there, there are ways to balance all of these things. But these people were off in a place, Brian, that I think many Democrats were saying, wait a minute, I... I I don't feel that. I can't defend that. And as I looked through the comments on, on my column today, there are 5,000 of them. I was just struck by so many people saying, yes, that's what I was. I, I felt that way. That was, that was just too far to the left for me. And if they felt that way, imagine what Republicans were saying. And, you know, this isn't complicated. Democrats won the House in 2018 by getting enough independents, moderate Republicans and suburban women who had voted for Trump in 2016 or took a flyer on Trump to cross over and say, no, no, not this time. And they elected lots of Democrats in Trump districts. Trump won the presidency. The math is very simple, Brian. You need to hold those people in these key districts, swing states and counties to win the presidency. And to do that, you need a candidate 
who can speak to those people. And there are a lot of things that, that they would be in for in terms of education uh, reform, business opportunities. There's all kinds of ways to appeal to those people. But, but don't put yourself in a position where people are going to say, you, your party wants open borders. Your party you know, wants to give health care to people who came into this country illegally when we have all these needs of Americans who are here legally. And it'll be interesting to see if the marionettes will dance to those strings this time around, as opposed to the strings being yanked by the wackadoo. It will be something to watch. Surely. I mean, you know, New York media gets so many attentions, people's attention, especially Democrats. And it could be fun to watch how um, transparently they try to uh, now uh, negotiate these wins. So, yeah, something tells me it'll be pretty obvious when they are uh, back walking, <laughs> when they are well, scrambling. Backwards. Again, I'm disappointed. I'm not, you know, I'm disappointed that this has gone on. <laughs> I've always called for running backward to be an Olympic sport. It'd be fun to watch, man. You'd see a lot of crack ups, a lot of crashes. Well, you're practically going to see Olympic back walking. Keep running with open yeah. borders and health, free health care for illegals. Keep running with that. Good luck with that. Uh, you might not win a single state if you ran with that. Quick note, often when Thomas Friedman was talking about domestic policy, he makes me crazy, but his stuff on the Middle East is absolutely brilliant. The book he's best known for, From Beirut to Jerusalem, is such a good guide to the way politics actually works in the Middle East. It's terrific. It's a little aged, but I think it's still as relevant as it was at the time. Uh, we'll, we'll have a little info at armstrongandgetty.com if you're looking for that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening... We have an up, we have an update on the world's first head transplant. Oh boy, <laughs> poor Gally. which is a story I love. Oh yeah, among other things on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Netflix is losing subscribers, and they said that 130,000 people have stopped watching. Yeah, it happened after one guy changed his password. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting he said that. Oh, I guess that was a joke about people sharing there. Okay, it took me a second. But uh, that's just not what happened. Um, Netflix expected to add 5 million subscribers in the second quarter. Oh, no, they're declining. And they only added 2.7 million. So they added 2.7 million subscribers, not what was expected. And in a weird way that Wall Street works, you come short of expectations and your stock goes down like you're failing, even though they added almost 3 million people. Who came up with the expectations? And maybe they're a dope. Well, right. (laughs) And you you hear that. I think it's going to rain candy. (laughs) And Netflix will add 10 million subscribers. Anyway, it's just it's got to be tough for businesses. That happens all the time with Apple. Yeah. That somebody expected there to be 5 billion iPhones sold, and there were only 4.5 billion. Apple really in trouble today, and then that's all... Apple stock plunges. Yeah, and that's all you hear, and then you end up with jokes like Jimmy Fallon saying, people, Netflix is losing subscribers. Well, that's technically not correct. Is that kind of the, the opposite of in Washington, D.C., where if everybody's budget is going to go 5%, no matter how stupid and wasteful and redundant and terrible their department is, and then you cut their growth by 3%, uh, down to or you know down to three percent. They have cut our. They are cutting the budget for the department to help the poor and downtrodden. It's because you cut the level of growth. Mm. Yeah. 
What are you going to do? Update on the world's first head transplant on the way. Go ahead if you want. I mean, anyway, once we can start transplanting heads, the rest of this stuff is kind of trivia, isn't it? I'm getting me a new head because mine <laughs> doesn't work so well. It generally works the other way around. You get a new body. You keep your head. <sighs> what if I don't like my head? Well, your head is you. You're your head. I don't follow you. <laughs> I got kind of fat cheeks and jug ears. I'd like to trade them in. If well, you, that's your face. If you get a new head. <laughs> my face is on my head, you idiot. <laughs> if you get a new head, you are now a different person. I see your point. Yeah. I think what you're driving at is the whole brain issue. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Thank you. Well, obviously, yours works better, and now you've, you've got me straightened out. <laughs> oh, speaking of your head and your emotions and, and that sort of thing, I, I found this somewhat interesting, particularly, uh, well, I don't know if I want to get into my own psychology, but, you know, some of us are kind of sort of loners, but if you indulge that too much, you find yourself, like, weird and hostile, and you realize you have to seek out the company of people, even though it makes you uncomfortable, as I've mentioned many times before. Uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote quite eloquently about that very tendency, and I thought, wow, TJ and I are just alike in that way. But um, I have written few declarations. And own no slaves. Right. Well, on my, you know, my the positive side of my ledger, happy people... Happy people tend to seek out strangers, while sad people seek out friends, according to a new Harvard University research project. Meaning somebody I already know and am friendly with. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and they studied 30,000-some people. Um, it's funny. I'm looking at this, uh, this write-up of it in the newspaper, and they say perhaps counterintuitively, uh, I'm not sure I agree, but when we are happy, we seek out strangers and new people to interact with. When we're feeling glum, we're more likely to find ourselves reaching out to close friends, relatives, and companions. Humans are by nature social creatures, obviously, need interactions and relationships in order to feel fulfilled and I never, our mental health. I never have the feeling that I want to meet new people. I know it's necessary and good, but I never I never crave that. Yeah. I got the, the lone extrovert in our family, he just... Fantastic! Show up to the park and there's a bunch of kids there. He doesn't know. Oh, he just, he just, he's just beaming with excitement. That's amazing. So run out and meet them, and none of the rest of us in the family are that way at all. And it's as stark as being right-handed or left-handed, really. Mm-hmm. Once you become aware of it, I remember when we were kids, my brother and I, if we if we pulled up to a park somewhere and there was no there was nobody there, we were both just yes. We're the only kids here. Wow. Yeah, interesting. (laughs) As the Harvard University study found, we find happiness in different kinds of interactions, depending on how happy we are to begin with. Um, Becoming withdrawn is a classic symptom of depression, but the new study suggests we may actually seek out more solitary experiences when we're feeling our best in in a way. But again, um, they think it may have to do with some sort of tribal need to have a positive feeling, and that if we're happy, we want to spread that and then disperse it. Um, part of their anonymous but very intimate analysis, researchers took into account how fun or not each activity the participant had done throughout the day, uh, minutia of their personalities. They found that when people were feeling down, they tended to reach out and spend time. Well, they already said that. I don't know why you keep repeating yourself. Um, quality time with loved ones acted like a form of comfort and a social boost. People tend to report better moods after these intimate interactions. Happy people, on the other hand, actually went looking for less obviously pleasant situations. They would choose less pleasant types of social situations that might promise long-term payoffs when they feel good. It's a form of optimism. 
You go out into the world and see who else is out there. Because you're feeling positive. That might be a nice person. I'm going to go talk to him. Whereas, and you know, it's obvious to you, that I think when you think about it, if you're in kind of a sour mood, you're not going to roll those dice. Mm-hmm. You have no interest in it. But, oh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. The world's first head transplant is... It's a jack operating by the hedonic flexibility principle. I think that sums it up, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I knew that. Uh, this principle actually says we don't just do what feels best at all times, mostly because there are things that have to be done that are unpleasant. Mm. Um, it's the hedonic flexibility principle. Awesome. The world's first head transplant is on hold. Do you know why? So this guy, it's got this terrible... Because it's impossible? This terrible body-wasting disease. Uh, he was going to get his head put on a healthy body, and they were going to really try to make this happen, and he called it off. Because he ended up getting a hot girlfriend who they now had a kid with, and he said, I can't leave my wife and kid if it doesn't work out, so uh, I'm calling it off. He got a hot girlfriend, and now he's and a child selfishly, this is it. stood this, in the way of the advance of science. This is his new girlfriend. She's uh, very attractive. Yeah, and uh, he said, so, no, you can't transplant my head now. So I'd change plans for her, too. Yeah, need a new plan, <laughs> need a new guy who's willing to do that. You don't want me to have my head sawed off, honey? All right, I'm willing to discuss it. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? U.S. and Iran facing off once again, and another Armstrong and Getty 2020 campaign death pool update. Ooh, fantastic. Ooh, another one bites the dust, perhaps. Somebody else out? I hadn't heard that. Yes, I'll, I'll stay tuned. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> So you have an update. I didn't hear who didn't make the cut for the debate. Did anybody not make the cut for the debate? Yeah, Bullock. Oh, he didn't. Oh, no, no I'm sorry. No, Bullock, Liar, make, no, Bullock, Bullock did make the cut. Bullock did make the Good. cut because Swalwell dropped off. Yes. Okay, yeah. so Bullock, the governor of Montana. Back into the playoffs. Right. That's still too many, though, man. By the second round, I thought they'd have had it pared down from 20 to something else. Yeah. Yep. All right. News. Oh, hey, speaking of the debates in politics, the college majors most likely to favor socialism. And here's a shocker. There are majors worse than uh, social majors. More fuzzy-headed than... Uh, what's the... I keep wanting to say socialism. What's the, what's the, the major? Socio... Sociology. Sociology. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fuzzy-headed, cotton-headed <laughs> and the, study, if there ever was one. And the majors where they were practically nobody favors socialism is also right. interesting. Exactly. Right. News now with Marsha Phillips. i got to tell you, the price of oil is up. Tensions are escalating in the Persian Gulf. Where I'm a, fine. I'm a, oh, I'm not in the Persian Gulf. Where a, my, te- my tensions are actually declining. They're declining. Yes. Anyway, the uh, a fifth of the world's crude oil is shipped through the Gulf area. Energy prices again... Uh, up a day after President uh, Trump said a U.S. warship had downed an Iranian drone. The boxer took defensive action against an Iranian drone, which had closed into a very, very near distance, approximately 1,000 yards. Iran denying the claim that the U.S. destroyed the drone, and Iranian military officials saying that no, all of its aircraft are accounted for and suggested that maybe the U.S. military had shot down one of its own drones. <laughs> hey, I got a question, Sean. You you traffic in these uh, these Internet circles. Do you have any idea 
why MSNBC, for instance, didn't even cover this story yesterday? Is there a belief that this was fake or something? Is there anything like that? It's... I think Trump just takes all the oxygen out of the room in a lot of newsrooms. And but that's just amazing. I mean, because they're legitimately, there's a decent chance the United States is going to go to war with Iran. There's mm. a decent chance that could happen. It's a long shot. But even if it didn't happen, there could be a serious rise in oil prices, which would be a serious choke on the economy. And it didn't make people. the news because of the layoffs, etc. Because of the squad and a new Stormy Daniels wrinkle and stuff like no. that. I didn't know if people were claiming it was fake or Trump just did it to deflect or something. My but, skepticism about a lot of this too is that the new, specifically cable news, is not really news. It's it's a ratings based television network. Yes, it's it's barely different from Entertainment Tonight. Their incentives aren't to break the important news. Their incentives... That's that's clearly true, especially after yesterday. They report on a different set of celebrities, but it's Entertainment Tonight. Hmm. Turns out overdose deaths in the U.S. last year appeared to have fallen for the first time in nearly 30 years. Wow, that's good. According to the Centers for Disease Control. The figures showed a drop of more than 5% in 2018 from the year before. Now, your Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar saying this was down, uh, due rather to a decline in deaths linked to opioids. Opioid deaths had fallen dramatically. Oh, US... I wonder if it's uh, the success of programs, awareness, uh, restrictions, etc. Or just anybody who had a taste for goblin pills is already dead. Wow. Wow, you might might have hit everybody that could would potentially yeah. fall for that. I wonder. Azar is saying that the, the U.S. efforts to quote curb opioid use disorder and addiction are working. That's what he said in his statement, he, uh, including the uh, the warning of the issue will not be resolved overnight. Well, and unquestionably, and we have some right. more information on this. We'll try to squeeze it in today. But as they have released more and more data about the mind-boggling flood of opioids right. into certain parts of the country, there's one little valley in Virginia. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's hardly anybody there. A few thousand people there. Man, they had like 5,000 pills per person flooding into this valley. Yeah. And just everybody was getting addicted and dying for 50 miles in every direction. Right. That sort of crap, I think, is more or less done. All right, time now for... An important Armstrong and Getty 2020 campaign death pool draft update. Axios reporting today that former Maryland Representative John Delaney's senior staffers are asking him to drop out of the race by mid-August. There's a Get guy the hell out of here! There's a guy named John Delaney running for president? He uh, has, that's your headline. He has, been run, <laughs> he has been running, Jack, for 721 days. I am. Okay. Spent nearly $19 million, $11 million of his own money, and so far it has all been for nothing. And who, who had $11 million to spend on his own candidacy? Wow. He, yeah, that's what they're saying. And that's a lot of money. And who had him in their uh, their death pool? Uh, we've got good news for one Michelangelo. Who board up Michael in the control room. Oh, that's a, yeah, That was his first round pick, John yeah. Delaney. His second round pick, Marianne Williamson, very yeah. strong. She's yeah. probably not going to be in too much longer. She does have kind of the internet Sanjaya. Right. Let's, let's pump her up because she's entertaining sort of thing. Right. So, Mr. Yeah. President... If you're listening. Yes, I know. Uh, she's also got a cult following that verges on being a cult. Yes, yes. But uh, uh, Michelangelo's strategy really fell apart in the third round when he took Elizabeth Warren, who's right. going to be in it for yeah, a while. Probably till the end. Yeah, yeah. If uh, not the nominee. We'll see. Um, I got one person out, Seth somebody. 
He got Moulton, out. I believe. So I, I'm one out. You got one out. Where, where? How Hickenlooper is still in after admitting right. to watching X movies with his mom? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, let, who do I have? Jay Inslee. Didn't he just get out? But he, no, he's in the no, debate. He's still. in. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Nobody wants yeah. him. Yeah. Like, is still in. There's like five guys. The guy that you mentioned that's getting out. The guy Joe just mentioned, Hickenlooper. That all I, they all look the same to me. They're all exactly the same human being. Mm. I can't tell them apart, which is part of the problem. Yeah. Well. Anywho. So, okay. So, uh, two of Marshall's three picks were not allowed in the first debate. Correct. Swalwell's out, right? He is out. Okay, yeah. so you've got a one down, definitely. Yeah. And then 89-year-old Mike Cravel <laughs> and Wayne Messam, who are who are arguably never in. So <laughs> if you're never in, how are you out? By tonight? the way, uh, uh, hey to Mike Gravel, who might be listening, because he lives in the Monterey area, I just found out, and wow. uh, we're, we're very popular in Mr. the Monterey. Mr. Senator, sir. He was a senator. Yes. Right? Mr. Senator, sir. Probably listening right now. Excellent. Greetings and and congratulations on still being alive. <laughs> wow! <laughs> All right, that's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. And speaking of what is and isn't news, Mario Lopez has jumped from extra to access Hollywood. So if you're really coming to extra for Mario Lopez, you're not going to have to switch over to the other channel for the exactly the same show yes. called Access Hollywood. Yes. Is that poor Billy Bush reemployed? He, no. he works for, isn't he on one of the morning shows now? His life was destroyed by laughing at Trump's grab him by the you-know-what comments well. and not standing up at that moment like a good American. How dare you, sir? <laughs> well, you know what? You make a living in a circus of idiots. There are going to be idiot reasons you lose that job, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I've often I mean, thought that. What are the what are the standards exactly for remaining the host of an entertainment celebrity show? Just because we were on it for a second, and then I want to get away from it with the you know, uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, the latest New Hampshire poll has zero percent. Oh, boy. Beto, who was I mean, he had uh, for the second third tier candidates, he had the best launch of anybody. I mean, he had a good running right. start. Oh, right. he had an opportunity to really shine. He raised zillions of dollars right. cover a magazine and got all the coverage he would want if you had the message or whatever. He's at zero percent in New Hampshire. Luckily, New Hampshire, one of the later primaries and of no significance. What college majors prefer socialism to capitalism, and what college majors don't like socialism? Oddly, social majors are not even at the top. <laughs> We've got that, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. this just to be, like, silly. I saw the headline, Mario Lopez jumps from extra to access Hollywood. Turns out, and then Joe said, what happened to Billy Bush? Ha, 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 we move on. Um, there's more to this story that is, it, 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 it might mean something. So as Mario Lopez vacates extra, it appears that extra will now fill in that vacated space. He's going to be the new host of extra as extra makes the leap to Fox own station. Who is going to be the Billy new? Bush? Billy Bush. Billy okay. Bush is going to fill in that uh, with extra jumping over to Fox stations. Now it was previously owned by one of the other three letters. Um, and uh, as previously reported, extra will be rebranded as extra extra and shift its focus to a mix of pop culture, sports 
and politics. Oh, I which, get it. Extra, extra. Read all about it. Which That's I, I mean. think... With Mario Lopez running in the thing? No, no, no. That's He'll Billy be, Bush's okay. new gig. But so it's it's the entertainment crap, it's sports crap, and some politics. So it's going to be for maybe a lot of America the new evening news, right? Because right. this is where and, we are. And politics is now celebrity yeah, news. Yeah, really, exactly. the way it's presented is, and it's a soap opera. It, it, right. the, 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 yeah. the the issues, the, the the reality of what politics is doesn't matter. It's just right. a soap opera. This person said something. Chris means. Stewart is in a feud with you know whoever, yeah. Zach, yeah. somebody or other. Right. So so instead of Taylor Swift and and what's her name being in a battle, Katy Perry, um, it'll be Trump I'm and shame that I know that and the Squad, right? And they'll treat it the presented same in the same way. And they'll treat it the same way. And then they'll have the gossipy side of sports uh-huh. and the rest of it. I, it Oof. sounds absolutely trashy, oh. terrible, and I think I may watch it. I don't, I, oh, boy. Yeah. Ah, I'll yeah. bet it gets higher oh, ratings boy. than uh, Nora O'Donnell CBS Evening it News. It might crush it. Yeah. I Oof. am simultaneously horrified and intrigued. Yeah. That's where we are. Because, well, I think I'm intrigued. You know, I wish I could invest in it just as a, you know, from a business point of view. I think it makes sense as we get dumber and dumber. You know, Jack and I have said since the beginning of our career about most popular culture, if crap sells, sell crap. And I think that's what they're doing. And obviously that's what we're doing. Boy, that could have left that unsaid. Uh, Boy, are they selling (laughs) crap at America's universities. I tell you what, I think think American universities are a net negative right now. Yep. Well, Uh, yeah. Just plunging poor kids into debt at a time when the dissemination of knowledge is... A tiny fraction in terms of expense of what it used to be. Virtually all of the knowledge available on Earth is at your fingertips as we speak. You know what it reminds me of? Now, there's some role in mentoring, in in probing questions, in testing your knowledge, that sort of thing. But the idea that, that at this moment... College would be more expensive than ever, and young people would be plunging plunging themselves into disastrous debt. That's insane. You know what it reminds me of and what's brought along the Reformation uh, is right at the time the printing press hit, that's when the the church had to really, like, clamp down because they realized they were losing their hold. Mm. And I wonder if it's the same thing with universities. Oh, crap, you can get this information anywhere now. We've got to really squeeze money out of people or something because this is our last gasp. And we've got to make it known that it's obligatory you have a piece of paper from us. Yeah. Anyway. The majors most and least likely to favor socialism. I found somewhat interesting. Probably worth mentioning before we go on, uh, socialism is perhaps humanity's greatest ever example of something that sounds good and is a terrible idea. It is disastrous. It will always be disastrous. It ignores the entirety of human nature. It results in the concentration of power among despots and is a disaster every time. Having said that, Philosophy majors are 78% in favor, very or somewhat favorable of socialism. Number one on the list, not a surprise, in favor of socialism, philosophy majors. They spend all their time thinking about thinking, and then they think up crap. They live in a a, a pretend world of of make-believe. Right. Sit around and think. Well, one of the... I, I heard this description of... 
socialism just doesn't scale well, right? The smaller the group, the more it makes it amongst your family. Oh, yeah. You are be very great, social. Yeah. Every, okay, yeah. I, we have this piece of this loaf of bread. We all need to and that's, break it up. And that's but part it, of what, why it works to sell it to people, because you think, well, yeah, me and my friends and everybody, yeah. we, we do it. We'd we'll all try hard. Share like, yeah, We'd yeah. get up in the morning and work as hard as we could. You know, that's funny. That brilliantly anticipates the comment I was going to make about the uh, next highest number, which is quite a bit smaller, uh, but anthropology majors. That's a 53%. I mean, drops from 78 to 53. Now, anthro majors, I'm picturing you. Of course, a lot of that's tied up in some of the wackadoo grievance study fields. The pseudosciences of today, the, the women's studies and black studies and lesbian studies and the rest of it that have this terrible fake research that was so brilliantly exposed by uh, the trio of scientists we talked to. Maybe you followed the story, but... You know, anthro majors, I'm reminded of Sebastian Younger's brilliant book, Tribe, which everybody ought to read. And and your primitive tribes, is that is that like a uh, saying primitive tribes? That's probably racist. No, I think uh, it isn't last time I checked. All right. It will be soon. Yeah. So I'll say it for now. Uh, but your primitive tribes often had very socialist uh, structures. Number one, you're moving around all the time, so you couldn't accumulate wealth because you had to carry it. Except in the societies that, and there were quite a few of them that had slaves, but anyway, it was all share and share likey. And you'll have anthro majors and soft heads like that point that out. But what Sebastian Younger points out in Tribe is that in societies like that, if you failed to contribute fully, you'd be killed. You'd be left to starve to death. Or you would be affirmatively murdered. You'd be executed for failing to bust your ass on everybody else's behalf. And modern socialism has the first half of it, but none of the second half of it. Which I think is one of your key points. Philosophy, anthro, English majors. Oh, they spend all their time reading your Shelley and your Byron and your your, your Chaucer. (laughs) Chaucer. Chaucer. Play Chaucer sucks. Boo. Uh, then uh, international relations majors, 7% very favorable on socialism, uh, 51% somewhat favorable. You do get into what do you mean by socialism. I grant you that. Then you got social. Finally, you get down to social majors, then music majors, then law and criminology. The more you study the way people actually behave, the less likely you are to like it. Then econ uh, finance, and and finally, accounting. Accounting majors have no patience for socialism. It doesn't add up. We no. did the math. It's yeah, really I've, done, listen, I've checked these figures four different times. This is impossible. I don't think that's an accident. The number one critique of socialism is that uh, you run out of other people's money. Right. Accountants get that. Yeah. <laughs> so the number one supporters of socialism is people who lay around dreaming about ideas all day. And the dead freaking last one is the people who actually deal with dollars and cents. Do you think that's a coincidence? If you do come closer, I need to slap you upside your head. Wow. Moving along. That's good stuff. Yeah, I I don't think that's an accident. Oh, you know, uh, to that, the the juxtaposition of your fuzzy-headed philosophical versus your coldly practical, we had... Cops and parole agents and, and and teachers 
weighing in on San Francisco in particular, they're they're impossible to defend near psychotic decriminalization of crime and the explosion of property crime in San Francisco, which if you were listening yesterday, you know, uh, my my brother and his family, my brother transferred by the Navy, made the briefest of stops in San Francisco. Practically the moment he entered the city of San Francisco, they were the victory, uh, the victims of a, of a crime. A smash and grab in which all their valuables were stolen, the valuables they had to have with them because the United States Navy had told them you got to move. And the fact that the cops were very sympathetic but said, listen, there's nothing we can do. The city council has made it clear, and the state, we can't chase these people. They don't want them convicted. They won't punish them. They're everywhere. It used to be a few people in the dark of the night. Now you've got open gangs listening to police scanners, then rapping about it on the Internet with zero fear of getting caught. So San Francisco has about twice the property right crime. I'm sorry, I'm so fired up. The property crime rate as Chicago. We received such great, clear-eyed comment on that from people who know. I want to share some of that with you next hour if Indeed, you're privileged to get the next hour of the Armstrong and Getty Show. If you're not, you can always grab the podcast for free because we give it away because we're stupid. At some at some point, we should talk about Alan Dershowitz, the lawyer, the Harvard professor, uh, bragging about his perfect sex life. Hmm. I didn't see that coming from the noted legal scholar. He's He'd be in the category of people that I assume just don't have sex. I don't know. There's there's some people in the world that I just I, I assume and would rather assume there's no sex involved in the their life. Third Amendment is critically under discussed, and I get laid all the time. Thank you for coming to my lecture. But he says, uh, yeah, he's not in trouble. Armstrong and Getty.